following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. sound. Hello, there we go. How's everyone? Good. This morning we uh, will be looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, before we uh, read... Wow. Hello? There we go. Before we reread, uh, let's pray. Father, we really do thank you this morning for just the, the privilege of worshiping and coming to know this incomprehensible God. Lord, that you are uh, unsearchable in all your ways. We'll never explore or completely figure out all that you are. We will never... Uh, come to the depths of how you think or be able to figure out what you do. And we do thank you that all around us are reminders of your, your great, wondrous beauty, your purpose, your glory. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of worshiping such a God and knowing such a God, being in a relationship with one such as you. We pray that even now you would come meet with us, or that you would just speak to our hearts that you would uh, open our ears, our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes to see your beauty, to see your glory as uh, you reveal it to us. So we just ask for you to teach us right now. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, did you ever wonder why we like stories so much? Does anybody here like stories? Anybody? A few people. Okay, I think actually all of us probably like stories more than we realize. How many of you like watching the news? Anybody like watching the news? How many, how many do watch the news? Ah, see, more of you. You don't like it, you just watch it, right? All right, that's how it is. Well, you know, the news is a story. In fact, you're talking about reading a news story. Uh, one of the reasons that you know, people can watch news all day long is because it's largely telling stories. Uh, every year, uh, publishers make billions, billions and billions of dollars selling books. And, uh, of course, people go pay the billions to, to watch movies, to watch television, to read magazines. And, you know, we don't read magazines. Nobody, nobody reads... Anybody here subscribe to the Weather Magazine? You know, it's just like pages full of data on how warm it was yesterday, well, most of us don't really do that. I mean, it's a little bit of an interest. But we read magazines that have stories, right? Uh, why, what is it, why is it we are so attracted to stories? You ever wonder about that? Why is it we're so fascinated by stories? Well, I think one of the main reasons is that really our life is a story. Uh, and I don't know if we think of it or see it in those terms, but the reality is your life and my life is just a story. It has a beginning... Hopefully it has a good middle. At some point it may have some climaxes and some setbacks. And hopefully we all pray it has a happy ending, right? That's what we're all wanting. And I think we're attracted to other stories because we want to compare. Stories can help us in our own story find hope or comfort or encouragement. 
if other people's story works out good, it gives us hope that maybe our story will work out well as well. If we feel like our story is not going so well, or we're quite miserable and depressed in our story, we like reading sad stories where the characters struggle because we identify with them, right? And we go, oh, it's supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be hard. And so it gives us hope. It encourages us. It helps us find meaning in our own story. And I really think the reason that this is so true of us and why our story, why stories are so important to us, to us ultimately is because God created us as people of stories. God himself is a great storyteller. And his plan as it unfolds through the ages is simply a grand story that he's the author of. And we find ourselves as characters as part of this story. And our little stories all help make up the big story that God is telling. And so we are people who are interested and fascinated in stories because God's put that in us. You know, your dog's not interested in stories. You know, next time I just dare you to sit down and read your dog, Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, it's not going to sink in. And interestingly, there's really no stories about animals. Okay, there are stories about animals, but they're all animals who are people, right, who have human characteristics. We're the only ones who have a story. And so our story is important, and it's part of God's plan, and it's part of His story. And uh, today as we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, he writes about a special kind of story, and that is a mystery. Okay, so let's read with some of that backdrop in mind. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mystery to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this mystery regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his Spirit he has revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Uh, not only is God's story a story, but Paul really talks about it here in this passage in terms of a mystery. And uh, the, the context, you get a little bit of the background of this. Paul starts off in verse 1 
stating that he is a prisoner of, of Christ for you Gentiles. And so we know that Paul's writing this from prison. And he's about ready to embark on the prayer that begins in verse 14. Um, and, and, and really, verse 1 and verse 14 are all one connected sentence. In between verses 2 through 13 is a big, huge parenthesis, all right, grammatically. And uh, he, he, as he begins this prayer, he gets distracted a little bit when he mentions his own imprisonment. And uh, you can kind of get the picture like this. Paul is in prison, and he's writing to these Ephesians, and he says, I'm this prisoner for your sake. And he gets this, you know, this bubble pops in his head, this thought. Well, I don't want them to feel bad because I'm a prisoner for them. Okay, if, I were, you know, if we were to hear somebody writing you, you know, I'm a prisoner because of you. He doesn't want them to feel guilty. He doesn't want them to feel, oh my gosh, he's in prison because of us. Which, in fact, he was. Paul was in prison for preaching Christ to the Gentiles. If, Christ, if Paul had not, if he had kept the message in Jewish circles, he would have had some problems, but he wouldn't have ended up in prison. He was in prison because he had drugged Gentiles, the Jews perceived, had drugged Gentiles into Judaism, which is not at all what Paul had done, in fact. But that's how they perceived it. And uh, he was now in prison, most likely in Rome, or on his way to Rome, because uh, of preaching Christ to the Gentiles. So he takes this little side rabbit trail to explain that this isn't a bad thing. And he ends by saying, so don't be discouraged, don't be disappointed, don't lose heart because I'm in jail. It's okay. This is all part of the plan. And in this side trail, he talks about his stewardship of the mystery. Uh, the word there is an administration or stewardship of the mystery. So what is a mystery? Well, a mystery is simply a story. And uh, Paul says that his calling, his stewardship, was to be telling this story to the nations, to the Gentiles. That's what got him in all this trouble. Um, and however you look at it, a mystery, and it's funny, you know, you read all these uh, theologians and commentators and Bible scholars who all define what mysteries are and God's mystery, and you can end up with far more mystery about a mystery reading these commentators than uh, they clear up. Bottom line is, a mystery is a story. Always. Now, you can have things that are mysterious that are not necessarily a story, but a mystery is always a story, right? Uh, does anybody here like to read mystery stories? Okay, I like mystery stories. I like stories you read it and you read the first paragraph and all of a sudden there's all these questions. Who did it? You know, it's usually about some crime or some murder, some mystery, some problem. And instantly you want to know the answer to the story. And good authors will, will drag you through 500 pages of waiting in suspense trying to get the answer to the story, right? A mystery is always a story. And uh, Paul says that he is... Uh, in fact, he says in, in quite plain and simple terms, he was appointed or called to tell the story, to tell the mystery to the Gentiles. Um, I'm really indebted for some of my thoughts on this to a, a preacher named Timothy Keller, a uh, pastor, I think, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. Brilliant guy. If you, ever, if you want to listen to some good sermons, download Timothy Keller. And he says, and the more I think about it, the more I think it's absolutely true, that the gospel is a true story. And he, he compares the gospel to other religions. He says other religions are basically a compendium or a collection of instructions, insights, wisdom, okay, rules, with sprinkling of stories. Right? 
So the stories may illustrate the teachings or the insights or the principles. But he says that the gospel is quite different. The gospel is in itself a story sprinkled with insights and teaching. All right? I explain the difference. If you take Islam, uh, it doesn't really matter. There are lots of stories about Muhammad. Okay, it doesn't matter if they're true or false, if they happened or didn't happen. It doesn't really matter how he was born, how he lived, or how he died. None of that changes the core teachings and doctrines of Islam. Bottom line is, you still have to pray five times a day to get to heaven, right? You still got to go through the motions of carrying out the instructions. The story doesn't really matter. But when you come to the gospel, the story is it, all right? Because it's a story of what God has done to save us. And the story is everything. It matters greatly that Jesus was born and how he was born. It matters greatly how he lived on this earth. And most importantly, it matters that he died and that he rose again. If you take that out of the gospel, you don't have the gospel anymore, do you? All right, so the, the Bible is a story. Uh, sprinkled with instructions and teaching, and those instructions or teaching are not irrelevant, okay, because it's a story doesn't mean that what Jesus taught doesn't matter. It does. But that's not what is at the heart and core of it. It is ultimately just a story. And what matters is not how much you keep the teachings, but how much you believe the story, right? So Paul, uh, Paul says here that he's been given the job of sharing this mystery. Uh, that he has been given this the stewardship or responsibility of extending grace, and he does that by telling this mystery, explaining to everyone this mystery, this story. Um, and it's a, you know because it's a mystery, it's a special kind of story. It's a story in which pieces or elements of the story have been hidden, and that is significant. That that Paul has been revealed, it's been told to him certain things about the gospel story that weren't before known or revealed. Okay, that's what makes it a mystery. Uh, now this all seems to us may seem a bit perplexing and uh, strange. Um, why would God? Why would God be? Why would God tell a mystery story? Right? Well, I don't know. If there's really any other kind of story besides a story with mystery. I mean, if you read a story where you know the ending from the beginning, it's really not much of a story. Don't you hate when you're sitting down to read a book and you're in the first chapter and you, you have a discussion with somebody and you say, oh, I'm reading this book, and they say, oh, isn't it just such a drag that the maid did it? And you, you just want to strangle him, right? It's like you wrecked the whole story right there, and you just want to punch him. And, uh, you know, at our house, we all like to read books, and we're all reading kind of the same books, but at different times, so you've got to be careful who you talk to about which book. Because you can get a lot of trouble by giving away the ending, right? Well, God is a storyteller. And there is something special about the story that he's unfolding throughout time and history, that there is some mystery in it. And, uh, and Paul highlights this. Okay? And, and it's not that the mystery stays hidden, but it's that it's carefully unfolded at the right time in such a way that it brings... You know, you know how it works in a story when you get to the end, you get to that place where the mystery is revealed, and what happens in your thinking? You go, oh, I get it now. All the pieces of the story start to fit together in a new and special way. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie The Others? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to just wreck it. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to wreck it for you right now. Say, so if you don't want to hear it, close your ears. It's a story about these people who live in this haunted house, right? 
And, and uh, it's kind of their encounter with these others who live in the house. Well, you come all the way to the end of the story and you find out at the end of the story that the people in the house are not the people, it's the ghosts. And the ghosts are actually the real people. right? And, and all of a sudden the whole story just makes sense. And you flash back through the story and you go, oh, oh, now I get it, right? Now it makes sense. They're the ghosts. Oh, right? Well, that's kind of the effect that the gospel mystery has for us. There are things as God unfolds His plan, when, when we see what He's doing, we go, oh, I get it now. I understand what He's saying and doing. So what is this, what is this mystery? Hey, are you... Do I have your curiosity yet? Do you want to know what the mystery is? Uh, I want to know what the mystery is. Well, to really understand what the mystery is, I'm not going to tell you yet, okay? To really understand what the mystery is, we have to review a bit the story, okay? The real question is, really, do you know the story? What is the story? Well, let's look real briefly, just survey briefly the gospel story. Uh, part one goes like this. God created everything good, Right? God created Adam and Eve, and he put this garden, he created this world, and he said everything he created was good and perfect. The story starts out beautiful. The story starts out with God creating paradise. And he put Adam and Eve in it, and he put them there to what? To commune and fellowship with God. To enjoy God's presence and all of his blessings. Okay, And that in itself could be a good story, and it could stop right there, and they could have lived happily ever after, and we would have liked that story. right? Enjoying God's presence, enjoying God's goodness, living in the garden, life was good. Uh, and he really created them, to put it in story terms, he created Adam and Eve to be his princess bride. Okay, He's the hero, God's the hero of the story. Adam and Eve were there to be his princess bride that he would woo and be with and, and love. But of course, chapter 2 comes along, and we find in chapter 2 that the princess bride rejects it all. She rejects God, she rejects his ways, and she decides that there are good things apart from God. That somehow God is holding out and they're missing something. And so rather than finding the goodness in God's presence and in God's blessing, they wander off on their own path, on their own journey away from God, away from His presence, and away from His blessings to find their own treasure. And so in the, in the second chapter of the story, the king loses his princess bride, and she falls for other lovers, and she chases off every other kind of lover there is. And, uh, and it's, it's a sad story. The king has lost his love, who he created this wonderful world for. Well, chapter 3 comes along, in chapter 3, the king has a plan to create and to call out among all of Adam's children a special people who would be a new princess bride. Right? And these are the children of Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham, and he gives Abraham a covenant promise and says, look, I will give you my presence. I will be your God. I'll be in your midst. I'll be with you. If you will just keep my commands and follow me, I will be your king, I will take care of you, and I will bless you with all kinds of good things. So he seeks to create and form for himself a new princess bride called Israel. Right? Well, we all know that doesn't go very well either. And this, prison, this princess bride is no better able to follow and love the king than the first one was. 
And she continually walks away. She continually chases other lovers. In fact, you read through the prophets, and they're constantly talking in terms of adultery, of forsaking God as your husband, as your lover, and as your king, of chasing after foreign idols and foreign gods and foreign lovers, of being an unfaithful wife. So she was no better a princess bride than the first one. But then we come to uh, the fourth chapter where uh, the king himself comes to redeem his bride. And now he realizes that, that even though she's turned her back and walked away, he comes with earth, this earth, becomes one of us, takes on human form, lives, dies on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, that by his blood he could purchase back his princess bride from slavery and bondage, from captivity to wickedness and evil. And not only that, but he rises from the dead showing that he conquered sin and death and wickedness and ascended to heaven where he rules on high, uh, bringing all wickedness, all evil, uh, all enemies under, underneath his feet. All right? uh, and then we, we, know, we know of the last chapter. Now, the last chapter is still unfolding. In fact, we're kind of in the last chapter. And uh, he has given us hints and clues and signs about the last chapter. We know the last chapter of the story. The king returns. He gathers his princess bride. And they ride off into the sunset happily ever after, right? And he restores everything. He restores his creation. He remakes a new heaven and a new earth, a new order. Uh, he finally subdues uh, and eliminates evil and wickedness from the world. He captures it all. He binds it. He casts it into the fiery pit and locks it up forever. And he lives eternally, uh, king and princess bride, where she enjoys his presence and all the good blessings he intended from the very beginning, right? So where's the mystery? Okay, did you miss the mystery? Right? What is the mystery? Well, um, what is left out of the story? Okay, I kind of skipped over the mystery because I'm trying to keep you in suspense. So we'll come back to that. What is the mystery? What is the mystery? Well, let's skip ahead for just a minute and talk about Paul, the ultimate... Uh, Paul being called as a storyteller. Uh, God is the ultimate storyteller. And he writes here in Ephesians 3, he says, uh, he says, I, Paul, have been given this stewardship, this responsibility of extending grace. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself has revealed this mystery to me. See, at just the right time, God is a great storyteller and he doesn't unfold the story all at once. He carefully reveals it piece by piece. And uh, with Paul, God chose Paul and the other apostles. Paul says not only to me, but also to the other apostles and prophets. God has revealed this mystery previously hidden. He said previous generations didn't know it. Israel didn't know it. Throughout the Old Testament, they didn't see this plot twist coming. They didn't see it coming. But he says, now it's been revealed to me, and it's my stewardship to be proclaiming this story, this mystery, this new chapter to the Gentiles. Um, and uh, I think it's significant that God is a God who is a storyteller. He's revealing His purposes and plans. Right? He doesn't keep it all a secret, but at the right time, He tells. And He's appointed Paul as the storyteller, along with the apostles and prophets, uh, which means that the story is written down in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament is the new chapter, ultimately, explaining God's plan. 
And part of the mystery we know from other parts of Scripture, part of the mystery is certainly God's grace. Okay, this was something that had not been fully seen or anticipated. Okay, that God would himself make salvation possible by grace. That, that no longer would, would people have to keep a law or code in order to qualify to be his children. Uh, part of the mystery is the mystery of grace. And Paul repeatedly talks throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians about his grace. But the gracious gift of God giving us freely salvation. Uh, in fact, Paul says in verse 7, he says, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by doing what? By telling the story. By spreading the good news. Telling the good news. Uh, it's interesting that Paul himself experienced the story. He says, I, even though I being the least of all these, the worst of sinners, have been revealed this wonderful mystery so I could tell it to others. You see, Paul himself said, look, I have been saved by grace, but not only that, it's by grace that I have been called to get to be a storyteller. Okay, do you feel that way about your calling and ministry and place where you are now? Did you know that it is God's grace that you are doing what you're doing? That you are in the place where you are in life? Paul said, I I am thankful for God's grace that called me to be a storyteller, to be a proclaimer of the good news. And not only God's grace, but also by His power, by His great power at work within me. We are servants of the gospel, all, by God's grace and God's power. Uh, And it is, in fact, a story of grace. He goes on to say, Though I am the least deserving, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Uh, some translations say more, perhaps more closely to the Greek, the unsearchable riches in Christ. The unsearchable riches in Christ. Uh, that is a lot of what the story is. It is a story about all that we can possess in Christ. Unsearchable riches. Now that, could, uh, that, could be, that term could cause problems for us. Unsearchable means something you can't find. Okay, so how can you tell you about riches you can't find? That would be kind of a bummer if that's what it meant. I want to tell you about all the riches in Christ that you'll never find. Well, that's not what he's actually saying. They're unsearchable not in its finding. They're unsearchable in finding the end of it. Okay, What he means by that is not that it's a treasure you cannot find, but it's a treasure that once you find, you will never get to the end of. Okay, It's a, it's a treasure that is unsearchable in its, ex, in its extent and size and scope. Okay, in other words, it's a treasure that you can't even begin to imagine. Uh, so in that sense, the gospel is a pirate story. Okay? Do you like pirate stories? You should like pirate stories. One of my favorite pirate stories, Pirates of the Caribbean. You guys like Pirates of the Caribbean? It is a great story. It is really a, a, a gospel story. you got these pirates who do what? They, they steal the treasure. They think they're going to be happy by fulfilling their greed, right? And so they steal this treasure from the Incas or the Mayans or, I don't know, some people group. Uh, And little do they know that the treasure is cursed. And they take the gold coins, and with that they take upon themselves eternal death. And they instantly become walking death, walking dead men, right? 
Isn't that what sin does? Right? And they're in search of this great treasure, but the treasure they take for themselves becomes death and a curse. Was that a great picture of sin? And to redeem themselves from the curse, what do they have to do? They have to return the treasure and they have to shed blood, right? And the end of the story, you know, the hero of the story, he sheds blood. Thankfully, he doesn't have to die. He just cuts his hand and he sheds blood and, it, and the, the coins are returned and it breaks the curse. Well, that's the gospel. And in this story, not only are we, have we been taken captive by pirates who have stolen away Christ's bride, but we in the end become pirates because we in our own greed and our desire to take the treasure for ourselves bring upon ourselves its curse. But Jesus comes and he sheds his own blood and he breaks the curse not only to give us life, but at the end of the Pirates of the Caribbean, what happens? I mean, they got this huge treasure store and Jack Sparrow gets, you know, his ship back and there is not only life, but there is treasure. There is the riches and wealth of Christ. And Paul says, I'm here to tell you this good story that there is life in Christ and not only that, there is incredible, unsearchable riches that come with him. So we go back to the garden, we get his presence, and we are blessed with all of his goodness. Okay? Now how many of you want to be a part of that story? Okay, that sounds like a great story, doesn't it? That the king has redeemed us, he has paid the price with his own blood to, to, bring, to break the curse of death, and he brings with him not only his presence in himself to share with him forever, but all the wealth of his treasures of His grace, His goodness, His kindness, His mercy, and all that He possesses, right? See, it is a good story. The Gospel is a good story. Um, and it's a story of these unsearchable riches in Christ. Unsearchable. Alright, so what is the mystery? Okay, so does anybody want to know what the mystery is? You don't want to know? Nobody wants to know. Maybe you already know. Okay, Stefan wants to know. Thank you. I got one person who wants to know the mystery. Maybe you already know. So there's no suspense. That just kills it. Well, what is the mystery? Well, the, the question is this, really. In the story, so you've got to understand the story. In the story, the real question is, who's going to be the princess bride? Is the princess bride going to be coming from the ch children of Adam who were totally lawless? Is that who Jesus came to redeem? Or is the princess bride the children of Abraham who tried to get there by keeping the law but failed? Who were under law but could not keep the law? So that's the question. That's the mystery. Uh, part of it is grace. How will they be saved? They get saved by grace. Uh, he talks about that mystery in Romans and Colossians. But here the mystery is, who is this bride? Who gets to be the princess bride? And his answer is this. He says in verse 6, And this is God's mystery. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the treasure. The rich is inherited, uh, the rich is inherited by God's children. Both together are part of the same body, and both together enjoy the promises of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. You see, the mystery is this, that the bride is neither the children of Adam 
or the children of Abraham. Okay? If you're going to try to be a bride as a child of Adam, you're in big trouble because you're lost in sin. Game over. Okay? If you're going to try to be the bride by being a child of Abraham, you're also equally in trouble because you can't keep the law. Game over. All right? You messed up already. It's too late. Okay? The only hope is to become a new bride. And the mystery is this, that God is calling out for himself a new bride that's combined of both the children of Adam and the children of Abraham, combined together into one new bride called the church, the body of Christ. That's the mystery. And for the Gentiles in Paul's day, this was indeed a mystery and very good news. All right? Now for us, you know, sadly the suspense is gone because we are the church and we are the bride and we kind of already know it. But for people in Paul's day, this was good news. This is very good news that it was no longer a Jewish religion. All right? And actually it's good news for us. You know, we don't have to go back to Judaism to be the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ by now being the body of Christ, his bride, the church. And God has created a whole new being, a whole new organism called the body of Christ. And all those who come into it by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing the story, become instantly his bride. And instant heirs together of all God's promises, all God's treasures, all God's wealth, as the body of Christ, this new being who is Jesus' bride. Um, So what's the point of this story? Every good story has a point. Uh, This story probably has many points, but Paul explains the point this way. He says in verse 10, the purpose or the point in all this was that the church would display God's wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Um, The point is is that this bride would display the wisdom of God. Not just any wisdom. The word that's used there is multifaceted, multicolored, varied. Uh, God's wisdom is extremely rich and varied and multifaceted. And, uh, you know, if we think of it again in terms of story, it kind of goes like this. That, uh, in fact, it says here that the purpose was that God would display this wisdom to the powers and authorities. And throughout Ephesians, powers and authorities have always referred to the evil powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay? Now, I think God displays his wisdom to the universe. But specifically, he has in mind making a point to display it to the evil rulers and authorities. These evil beings, whoever they are, who right now are reigning and causing trouble in the world. And I think it kind of goes like this in the story. Satan and his evil rulers were jealous of God and especially of his bride. And from the moment of creation, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan was determined to steal away the princess bride, right? And it's been his determined plan from the beginning to rob God of his bride, of this treasure. And uh, he's done it successfully, you know, in the garden with Adam and Eve. He did it successfully with Israel, uh, leading them astray to false gods time after time after time. But then along came Jesus, along came the cross, along came his blood, 
And God called out for Himself people from every tribe and tongue and language. And we now sit as part of that collective group of people who are being made into the bride of Christ by grace. And I see this picture. I see one day at the, at the last chapter, God collecting out this bride, right? And gathering this beautiful bride who is multicolored, as multicolored as His, as his wisdom, who is beautiful, is made up of people from every tribe and language and culture, and uh, walking together and walking past these evil rulers. And God going, you thought you could outsmart me. You thought you were so clever and brilliant that you could steal away my bride, but you didn't know the mystery of the story. You did not know my power or my wisdom. And he walks past, and this beautiful bride who's been rescued from the grip of these evil, wicked authorities uh, walk into God's presence in his kingdom forever. And kind of the last scene before the curtain falls is these powers and authority are cast into utter darkness and hopelessness, knowing they failed. Knowing that the wis- they could not out- outsmart, outdo the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is greater. And for all eternity, the church, this bride of Christ, will stand as a witness to the wisdom of God in carrying out His beautiful and wonderful story. Um, and he says that this is a story that he's had and he's been doing. It's been his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, the mystery is a mystery not because God thought of it at the last minute. It wasn't like God thought, oh, I'm, I'm losing this. What am I going to do? And he came up with a plan B. No, it's a mystery because it was always there waiting to be revealed from the beginning. It was God's storyline from the beginning, from the start to finish. But at the right time, he revealed it through Christ and through his apostles. Well, what does this have to do with us? Well, it has a lot to do. I mean, I hope we cherish and value being uh, in such a story. That our life story is a part of this grand story. And no matter how, many, how badly we mess up our life, in the end, because it's God's story and because of what God has done, we will be his bride. It's not based on us. It's based on what He has done in Christ. And if we just trust in the good work that He's done through Christ, you know, we get there. We become the bride and we become joint heirs, sharers in the treasure. Uh, but beyond that, it has practical relevance as well. And he says, because of, because of all this, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Uh, you know, there are fringe benefits to being the princess bride. And one of them is, the word that's used here for coming boldly literally is the word free speech. Okay? And you, you, know, you know how this works. In marriage, you have free speech. Right? Our wives can tell us things. We may not want to hear it, but she has freedom to tell us her opinion. Right? Now, we can tell other people to shut up, but you know, it doesn't work so well if you say that to your wife, if you haven't learned that one yet. Okay? They have free speech. They can speak to us their heart and mind. Same thing is true with us. With God, with Jesus, we have freedom to speak. It's an amazing thing. Uh, we are His Princess Bride. We are joined with Him. We have the freedom to come into His presence and to speak our heart and mind. 
If you are worried and afraid, if you are troubled, if you are angry, if you are confused, you have freedom to speak your mind and your heart before God. He will never turn you away. You can tell Him anything. And He will listen attentively to everything you have to say. He's concerned. Uh, he is concerned about what is on your heart. Um, he says, not only that, we have freedom to speak and we can confidently, we have confidence of access into his presence. Uh, in a royal court, very few people have free access to a king. The princess bride has free access in this story. Maybe, maybe not in all stories. There's other stories where even the wife can't come to the king. But in this story, the wife has free access to the king. Unhindered, constant access into his presence. Okay, doesn't matter how bad a day you've had. It doesn't matter how badly you've messed up. It doesn't matter how badly you see yourself. Paul says, I'm the worst of, I'm the, worst of the worst. And no doubt when he said that, he was thinking back to his past as a persecutor of the church, as one who had actively tried to kill the story. No doubt Paul felt horrible about his part in that. But he says, now I'm under grace, and all that doesn't matter. I have free, bold access to the very presence of God. You see, in this story, if we are truly his princess bride, which we are now, and we look forward to the day where he comes back and takes us to be with him forever, but the truth is, today, we have access to his presence. Uh, earlier he said that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms now. Okay, The good news of the story is not only do we get his blessings now in large portion, but we get his presence now in large portion. Uh, that's the relevance for us. So he says, finally, so don't worry about me being in prison. I got in prison because I got to tell the greatest story there is to Gentiles who now, through God's grace, are a part of that story. He says it's not a big deal. It's no problem. And the hope is that, you know, if we could see our life in the context of the story, we would have the same confidence that when difficult things come into our life, it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. Because we know the end of the story. Okay, the end of the story is we will be with God. Okay? No matter how many difficulties and struggles and hardships you go through, we are the princess bride. We are the cherished, beloved of God who sent His Son for us. Uh, he has complete, completed and fulfilled every part of His story. And He will fulfill the last chapter as well. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much that you are a great storyteller, a great story writer, and that you are, uh, throughout history, past and to eternity future, writing your story of grace and redemption, of your mercy and truth. And Lord, we thank you so much that you have invited us uh, and written us into your story. And Lord, even those parts of the story that had previously in past generations been kept hidden as a mystery, they were not kept hidden forever. 
that you reveal your plan, that you tell your story and make it clear and known, and you've invited us to be part of it. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the faithful work of Christ who made it possible. It's partly through our faith, but it's mostly through Christ's faithfulness that we are your children, that we are your bride. And Lord, I pray that we would come to see ourselves not only as individuals, but as the collective body of Christ, people from every, every tribe and language, together, sharing in the glory and unsearchable riches of your grace in Christ. Lord, we thank you for that and just pray that we would be encouraged and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.